Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here today to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers system. And for that, we're joined by Tom Hodricourt, the Brewers beat writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Tom has been with BA since the very, very beginning. He's been doing the Brewers uh, since before I was born, and I'm 31 years old. So Tom's a, a long-timer here at BA and uh, was kind enough to continue doing the Brewers system for us. Tom, the Brewers are in kind of an interesting place. Their farm system is way, way down. You did the rankings this year. You know it better than anyone. But the reason for that is because they successfully graduated a bunch of guys to the majors. They traded a bunch of other guys to get big league help, namely in the form of Christian Yelich. And as a result, they made the postseason, the last two seasons, their first consecutive playoff appearances since 1981-82. It seems like the Brewers have really built everything up, and now they're at the point where, okay, this is the time for the major league success. The farm system's going to be down for a little bit, but again, it's for all the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, a colleague they've done what your fans want you to do and what you're supposed to do, use your farm system to be good in the major leagues, right? Um, whether that involves trading uh, players for other, you know, prospects for major league players or advancing them to uh, to the major leagues, that, that's what you want to use your farm system for, either for your own improvement or to get uh, use as trade chips for improvement from the outside. So, so let's just look at two things that has definitely been out their top ten in the last two years. One was the trade of four of their top prospects from Miami for Christian Yelich. Well, he was the MVP the first year and the runner-up was MVP the second year. So I think you could say that was a successful trade. Very much so. Yeah. But they traded their top prospect, Lewis Brentson. Two other top ten prospects, Monte Harrison and Isan Diaz, and then the sleep the trade was Jordan Yamamoto, who looks like he might, you know, have some real promise there. So you trade three of your top ten plus somebody just outside the top ten, it's going to thin it out considerably. Then, then let's look one year past that trade to last year. They advanced their top prospect, Keston Hero, to the major leagues. And every rookie team I've seen, you know, all rookie teams I've has had him at second base, right? I haven't seen anybody else love here at second base as a rookie last year. And then uh, Trent Grisham had fallen out of the top ten in previous years, but he advanced to the big leagues, too, and had a real impact on the team. And then was traded uh, after the season, and a pretty big trade was San Diego. You know, that was a very fascinating trade. I'm sure you guys, when I say you guys, us guys at BA, um, thought it was fascinating to trade kind of a budding outfield prospect Grisham for a budding infield prospect Urias. It's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. Um, with the two teams, there were some pitchers involved too, Kyle Davies and um, Zach Davies and um, Eric Lauer. Back, Eric Lauer coming back from the Padres. But, yeah, the interesting pieces were those young pieces, don't you think? Absolutely, and, and that is going to be a fascinating trade. And to drive the point home more, in the last two years, they've also graduated Brandon Woodruff. They've graduated Adrian Hauser. I mean, graduating guys to get to the big leagues and using other guys for trades for, like you mentioned, the Christian Yelich trade is going to go down as one of the best trades of last decade when all is said and done. The fact the Brewers' farm system is down 
again, it's a good thing. They've been successful in the major leagues. They've acquired big league standouts. They've brought up successful impact rookies. That's the point of all of this. So I, I want to start out by saying before we go into the system and before we talk about how there's not a lot there and it's it's one of baseball's weaker systems, you can find out exactly how weak when our organization talent rankings come out. I want to caution Brewers fans, it's okay. They're in a good place. They've done a lot of good things and there's still bright days ahead at the major league level, which should allow them to backfill the system. Jumping into that system, Bryce Terang, their first round pick in 2018, is now their number one prospect. He advanced to high Class A Carolina in his first full season as a professional. Hit very well in the Midwest League, got the promotion up to high A. In your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the organization, Tom, was it a fairly consensus that Bryce Terang was the number one prospect in this system? It was, Kyle. It was when you talk about and, and especially, uh, excuse me, especially because of his position, you know, shortstop. Brewers had really coveted up the middle players in the stated Stearns regime, both in signings of international players and minor league trades and drafts. They've really focused on second baseman, shortstop, and center fielders because they think. But how can all of those positions, you know, can always be used at other positions, or if you build depth there, you can use it to trade from, which they've already done. Um, and so, uh, Terang's name did come up the most of, all, of, of anybody they had. And you know what? He's a very interesting guy to me, Kyle, because the consensus of the draft was that, at least going into the draft, was that he was going to go higher. Then they picked him, you know, they were picking down in the 20s. And then, you know, I've been covering baseball a long time, as you noted at the outset of the podcast. But then I learned a phrase that was new to me, Kyle. I, I learned the phrase, prospect fatigue. <laughs> and they said that, you know, he's been a prospect for so long that some teams have gotten fatigued. <laughs> of how they covered it. And then he stood down the draft the Brewers couldn't take it fast enough. Absolutely. He uh, he had a very, very good showing uh, in the Midwest League. One of the interesting things with Terang is there's always been a pretty sweet swing there. Contact, speed, uh, up-the-middle athlete, whether that's shortstop, second base, center field, there's a sense that he'll be able to stay up the middle somewhere. Uh, the biggest thing with him is he's a, he's a skinnier guy, um, but, you know, he's young. He, he just turned 20. There's still room to grow. Um, in your discussions with evaluators, now that they've seen him for a full season with a wood bat in his hands, how much power do they project there to be, and, and, and what kind of player do they think he'll be when all is said and done? Yeah, you don't hear a lot of talk about power with them. They like the way he makes contact. You know, how do we even judge power these days? Like, what ball are they going to be using when he gets to the big legs? Right. <laughs> being a left-handed hitter. You know, he gets a good break out of the box. He runs pretty good. I, I think they look at him as more just a table-setter type guy, a guy who'll get on base. The ODP is, you know, so important. Um, baseball way more than batting energy. And I think that's more how they look at it. Absolutely. His uh, on-base percentage this year, his first full season, 367. He was also 30 for 35 on stolen bases. So he's not only a plus runner from a speed perspective, he's a good base runner. He knows where to, you know, how to pick his spots. He knows how to get good jumps. And you do see that high OBP, stolen bases, you know, 
high to moderate average. You know, it's probably more doubles, but it seemed like there was a fairly decent consensus. Hey, there's a big leaguer here. Maybe that is a number one or two hitter table setter. Maybe he doesn't quite reach that and he's a number eight hitter who gets on base and steals some bags for you. Either way, it seemed like there was still a, a fair consensus that he's a good player who will be something that can help your team. It's just a matter of what degree that is. Exactly. I think that's a very good way to put it. And, and the other thing that you hear about, uh, you hear if you talk to evaluators about him, is they, he, he's considered something as a, of a baseball gym rat, you know? Just a guy that's all about baseball, real smart, real heady, knows had good coaching, been an advanced player, really works at his game. And those guys usually succeed, you know? Absolutely. His dad, Brian, was an outfielder for the Mariners, uh, played parts of two seasons with them. He's also the youngest of uh, a lot of older sisters. Uh, it's a very athletic family. And his dad even ran a gym in the, the Inland Empire region of Southern California at one point. So uh, I, there's definitely a lot to like there from a, an athleticism standpoint, a bloodline standpoint, a work ethic standpoint. And that's why he broke into the top 100 for us this year and was the clear number one prospect. This is where it got interesting to me was more number two. I think even from the outside looking in, it was pretty clear Bryce Terang's the number one prospect in the system. Tristan Lutz ultimately was number two for you ahead of some guys who have gotten to higher levels but struggled. Zach Brown, Corey Ray, their first round pick this year, Ethan Small. How much discussion was there for this number two spot and ultimately what elevated Lutz into that spot? Yeah, I think there was a lot of discussion. And I think that we, and tell you agree or disagree, you could probably bounce around some of those guys, you know, move up or down. And the thing that kind of put Lutz in the number two spot is his skill set is so good, Kyle. You know, and, and, you know, does he still need to, you know, improve his contact skills? Yes, he has struck out a lot. And does he, you know, has, has he his power not fully developed yet? No, it has not fully developed yet. But they just, you know, I'm, now, at, uh, at our tool grades on, on him, and, and we, you get 50 for hitting, 55 for power, 50 for running, 50 for fielding, and 55 for arm. That's pretty dead on good. It's a well-rounded player with a lot of potential. You mentioned he hasn't quite tapped into everything yet, but one of the things that stands out to me is sometimes we talk about players that haven't quite tapped into it yet, and that means their performance is poor. His performance, it's never been great, but it's never been bad either. It seems to be, you know, hanging in there, doing okay, you know, every level, and there's a sense there's still another jump or two or even three jumps in there, and I feel like that's a good sign that, hey, he's he's doing okay, and there's a lot more room to grow. And he's still young. You know, he turned uh, 21 on August 22nd. Young. And the other thing you hear a lot about him, Kyle, is uh, mental toughness. And they tested it. He's been one of the youngest guys at every level he's played at. You know, and they also came from Texas and threw him into that Midwest League his first year. I can tell you up here in Wisconsin, it is not warm. In that Midwest league, and so they they tested him at every single league they put in. You know, he's already now done a full year at high A. He'll he'll start next season at age twenty one, uh, playing in double A. I would assume, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so and so they just like him a lot. They pushed him hard. They like his mental toughness. They like his skill set. 
And you know what? You know what's going to happen with him one year? Kyle, he's just going to bust out and have really big numbers on here. I really do believe that. I saw him the very first time they brought him to Miller Park and he did an occasion. There was... He, he, he took some pretty stinking good VP, and I, and I just think he's going to be a good player. He certainly shows a lot of ability, and again, he's he's performed decently everywhere he's been, and, and he's definitely got to watch for as a potential breakout here in 2020. Number three and four in the system were interesting to me. Zach Brown and Corey Ray, two players who have been around a while, uh, both had rough years. Zach Brown going to AAA and really struggling. Corey Ray, uh, an injury-plagued season yet again. What kept them high in this system? Because I, I think talking to some evaluators, you will find some who say, these guys shouldn't even be in their top 10. And Brown, notably, was left unprotected for the Rule 5 draft, right, which right. says a lot. So what, for you and your discussions, kept them not only in the top 10, but fairly high up in the top 10 despite all their problems? Yeah, yeah and, and you know, we, we submitted the top 10 before they did not protect them in the Rule 5 draft. And, and if we were in advance, they were going to do that. We may have bumped him down a few spots, and he was not taken. So... Uh, that, that, that probably would have hurt him and we would have had that advanced knowledge as far as being up that high. You know, these, these, again, we look at the tools of these guys and, and you really look from the toys. You know, Corey used to stay well, but one year he stayed well, he was the Southern League Player of the Year, 2018. That's the one year he has not had health issues, but he's got to stay healthy. That's been a real problem for him. And he's, not, he's just not going to keep it messed as much as it doesn't. But how do you predict something like that? You know, these injuries have definitely hurt him. You know, you mentioned Brown and the, and the ball of choice. It's my understanding from talking to people in the system that once the ball started flying in AAA, and, you know, it's not like you need to juice the balls in the PCL to begin with. You know what I mean? It's already a tough pitcher's league. I, I think San Antonio's a little more fair for the pitcher than some of the other ballparks they play at in that league. But once they put the rabbit ball in there, the ball started um, flying out. I think he stopped trusting his stuff, Alan. I think he, he had to be more perfect than he had to be. He started picking at the corners. Therefore, he fell behind in the counts. He started walking people more. His walk rate was up and his strikeout rate was down. And he, I think he just lost some confidence. And um, so that makes, you know, 2020 is going to be a big year for both of these guys, Brown and Ray. Ray needs to stay healthy. Brown needs to get his confidence back. Let's see what baseball they use in AAA this year. Um, but those are, those are guys that could go either way right now. Either way, they could, you know, they could, they could, really cement themselves as top prospects in the system where they could really slide. It'll be interesting to see what they each do in 2020 because you're right. There is a sense that this is almost a, kind of a make-or-break year for both of them and really what they're going to be able to be. Number six and seven in your list really intrigued me. Aaron Ashby and Mario Feliciano. These were two players who took huge steps forward in, 2020, in 2019. How much... Yeah push was there for them to be even higher on this list just given you know one's a lefty with swing and miss stuff and the other's a catcher who's just named the Carolina League MVP for his uh, really right. impressive right. season yeah that's on me maybe I should have moved them up higher <laughs> <laughs> I submit it you know it's, uh, um, we, we, we do it as a group project every year uh, and me and and maybe, maybe we should have moved them up a little. You know, we have Ethan Small, number five, their number one pick from last year. 
And I feel really good about, about that because he's an advanced lefty. He's going to be one of those crafty guys like Jimmy Keeger and just uh, knows how to pitch, knows uh, his fastball sneaky path. And he's just an advanced pitcher who's already looked pretty daggone good as a pro. So I feel really good about that. But Ashby's got, you know, you know I'm a big believer in bloodlines, you know, and, and, and he's, you know, Ashby comes from a baseball family. Look at look at all some of the BA's top prospects now from the last year. Too. They're all sons of former major league players, right? There's a lot of them. Obviously, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, even Ronald Acuna. His dad played in the minors. There are a lot of young standouts who, uh, who are the sons of fathers. Bo Bichette. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, one of Ashby's followers is his uncle, but he still comes from a baseball family. And um, and so uh, lefty with really good stuff. It looks like he's going to be uh, really hard on left-handed hitters with that curveball. He's got a devastating curveball in them, but he has a good changeup and a good control too. You know, so many of the lefties end up going to the bullpen, but Ashby should not have to do that. Um, he, he has four really good pitches. He throws a fastball, curveball, change changeup, and well, I guess you know three. I mean, he, he throws. Kind of a slurry pitch too, but so you can say it's a slider or a curveball or both. But this is the guy, and he's pretty good control too. So he, this should be a guy that should be able to stay in the starting rotation and make an impact. I think he could even be. Do you think I got overstating to say he could be like a top half of a rotation in the major leagues? You know, it's possible. Obviously, his control is something that, that a lot of evaluators have said needs to, you know, keep getting better. Um, I think we've seen most of them say, you know, mid-rotation potential, you know, likely back of the rotation. But lefties, we see a lot of times that exceed expectations. Uh, and when you have, you know, swing and miss stuff from the left side, uh, that that's pretty special. And it'll be interesting to see. For me, I, just outside looking in, he's probably the most intriguing guy in this system because it almost feels like... We could look up a year from now, and he could be number two in the system, maybe number one yeah, if he takes another yeah, jump. Yeah, yeah. You know, Small Kelly, um, Ethan Small, Antoine Kelly, and and uh, and um, Ashby, uh, Aaron Ashby are nice to watch because the Brewers have not had a ton of success developing left-handed pitchers. You know, um, I mean, you had, I mean, really, if they had a great lefty since. Teddy Higuera pitched for him in the 80s, you know. They, they've had some that have come up and done okay for a while. Your Juan Nieves got hurt real early in his career. But they haven't had a ton of luck developing lefties. They've developed some pretty, you know, some decent righties in the last 10 years. Guys like Ben Sheets and Yannick Guerrero. And now Brandon Woodruff looks like he had a chance to be a, an ace. But, but they, you know, they struggled developing lefties. And so these are guys to watch. You know, they drafted a ton of lefties last year in the draft, and Small was the first one. And I just think now with three left-handed pitchers in their top ten, Ashby, Small, and Kelly, we've got some guys to watch now, and guys that have a chance to be left-handed in a rotation. Absolutely. And then we'll be interested to see if the Brewers can kind of end that streak of uh, not having too many great homegrown lefties. It seems like the top eight in this system were pretty much slam dunks in the top eight. You mentioned Antoine Kelly as someone that uh, you got a lot, of, a lot of good reports on and thought very highly of. 
uh, 9-10, Eduardo Garcia and Drew Rasmussen. They're, you know, kind of high upside long shots. Uh, Garcia, a shortstop who signed for a lot of money, but uh, is still uh, very, very young and is coming off an ankle injury. Rasmussen has had Tommy John surgery, uh, two Tommy John surgeries, I should say. And uh, has really, really big stuff, but also a risky health profile. How many other players were in the mix to be in this top 10? Or was this the clear top 10 in this system? No, there were some other, there were some other guys in the mix. Trace Pack, um, uh, one of their better pitching prospects, a right-hander, who uh, had a really good uh, showing at double-A uh, last year, and then when he got promoted to triple-A, struggled. You know, he got hold of the ball, might have got to him, too. Uh, Peyton Henry, uh, a catcher, he was on the verge of the top ten as well. You know, um, Kyle, one thing that's interesting about the catching now is um, Peyton Henry and, and Mario Feliciano, who we've already talked about, they're playing at the same level right now. They were both on the same team last year. And it looks like they're bringing them up together as almost like a tandem. And they both have tremendous skills offensively and defensively. And the person I developed the catcher since Jonathan Lucroy several years ago. And we'll be interesting to see, again, when you have two good catching prospects, it's tough to expect both to reach their ceilings just because catchers can be so risky. But there's no question, having two very talented prospects, uh, Feliciano offensively and Henry defensively in particular, it's a good place to start. Tom, when you look at the Brewers, just kind of organization top to bottom as a whole, you know, we've talked about this farm system. It's probably one top 100 prospect and a lot of guys who are kind of wait and see. Uh, the major league team, they, they lost some guys this year in free agency, but they also brought some guys in. Uh, they've traded for Omar Narvaez. They signed Avisel Garcia. We mentioned they acquired Luis Urias. Uh, they, they've, you know, they brought in Ryan Healy as well. So they've, they've made some additions when you look at this team as it stands right now, top to bottom organizationally, how would you assess where the Brewers are and, and how quickly are they going to need some of these prospect reinforcements? Yeah, I mean, they, they have lost some star power from last year. Most notably, uh, yeah, Lonnie Rondell and Mike Stockton, who signed big free agent deals elsewhere. Uh, you know, the free agent market got a lot more active this winter than it has been for several years. And finally, they got after to their top guys and lost them. So they've lost some star power. They've added a lot of kind of work group of being top guys. You know, Evans, Hogue, Abisail, Garcia, players like that. We talked about Luis Urias uh, earlier. It's interesting to see where he fits in and, and if he can make an impact for years to come. But you know, they're in the Kristen Yelich window right now is what we call it. They've got him. Um, the first years have been incredible. You know, I think you can put him out and down here as the three top, you know, players in baseball over the last few years. So far uh, exceeded uh, anything he's ever done in Miami. You know, will they be able to afford to keep him after that point? Who knows? Not not the way the bidding has been on the market the last couple of years. What would Yelich have gotten on the market this winter? You know. Or, yeah, I mean, you look at what Machado and Harper got two years ago, each clearing $300 million. Yelich is certainly in that caliber of player and really above that caliber of player. The interesting thing to me is looking at this pitching staff. We mentioned Brandon Woodruff has kind of ascended to the top of the rotation. Adrian Hauser showed some good things last year. They acquired Eric Lauer. They brought in Josh Lindblom. They signed him out of uh, Korea. They brought him back to the major leagues. 
They also signed Brett Anderson, uh, a free agent. The rotation does look a little thin, and you look down at the farm system, there's not a whole lot of major league ready pitching uh, that's you know potentially there to help them unless Zach Brown has a bounce back year. And even if he does, right. it's not the deepest group in the world. How much of a hindrance do you think that's going to be to the Brewers potentially making a run at their third consecutive postseason? Yeah, we'll find out. You know, I will say to you, uh, Kyle, that the Brewers in the last couple of years have liked their starting pitching a lot more than the outside world has. Um, all they've heard is that they don't have enough starting pitching, and then they've been to the playoffs two straight years, and they advanced within one game of the World Series two years ago. So, and then if you look at the way Castle uses his pitching staff, he bullpens the heck out of games. And they've had two great Septembers to get into the playoffs, but now with with the uh, roster limits coming in this year, he's not going to have those ton of arms in the bullpen like he had the last two September. So they're going to have to be a little more reliant on their starting pitching. You know, Adrian Hauser is a guy to watch. Um, he was starting to come on last year when they put him in a rotation. They like him a lot. You know, they haven't totally given up on Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns yet, even though they both really struggled as starters last year. Yeah, I was going to mention um, that's... That, that, those are two guys, along with, with Jake Faria, uh, who they acquired in a trade with Tampa Bay last summer. Those are three guys who are no longer prospects, but they've each had flashes of success as starters. Maybe there's a possibility they can kind of make their way back into a rotation with some improvement. So in that sense, the Brewers might not have a lot of pitching depth in their farm system, but they still kind of have some in their organization in the form of prospects who have graduated, but have never quite established themselves as big league starters. Exactly, exactly, and and that's where they'll you know they hope to you know have some depth uh, come through for them. Brent really looked at when he came back from Tommy John surgery last year. Um, Whether they put in the bullpen or the rotation remains to be seen, but but they do think they have more depth than people give them credit for. But um, you know, we're just going to have to step up. I'm not sure they're done adding in that uh, in that uh, starting pitching department either. I still think they're looking around. You know, Stearns has made some of his biggest moves uh, as general manager in late January and even early February. He acquired Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich on the same day, January 25th, 2018. That turned the entire franchise around, and they've been to the playoffs both years since. Then he picked up Grandal later that month, and then Moustakas after can't even open. So he, he's always looking and never puts time limits on improving his team. So... You know, they'll go to camp. Uh, I think they're going to have they're going to add some more talent before they get there, and then you know they'll see what they've got when, when they hit there. But they firmly believe in making the most of what the outside world does not consider to be deep pitching staffs, and they've done it, and they've done okay with it. But let's not let's not fool ourselves. They have built their team the last couple of years around offense, uh, and it's a, you know at Miller Park where the ball really carries. That's probably a smart thing to do. Yeah, yeah, we mentioned you know most of their offseason additions this year have come on the offensive side. You mentioned losing Randall Mustakas, but trading for Narvaez, bringing in Abisil Garcia, Luis Urias, Ryan Healy, Justin Smoke, who you mentioned earlier as well. Uh, they definitely made some moves to beef up the offense and maybe replace some of the offensive production they lost from those two. Tom, thank you again so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Brewers still have in store January and February. As you said, they make a lot of late moves, and... Uh, History tells us they're not done yet.
I think uh, I think we we are still going to have some things to talk about between now and spring training, Kyle. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Once again, that was Tom Hodricourt with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. Once again, for Tom Hodricourt, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.